Well, check out this word. It's loaded with meaning, right? This is so chock full of emotions and thoughts. The word family. When you see the word, when you hear the word, there's automatically some stuff that rises up inside you. Did you know that every person was born into a family? I know. I thought I'd give you that little information. Like you started because two people came together and you were a part of a family. And some of us really like our families and we really know our families and other of us don't know our families and we don't like our families. There are some of us that our family is kind of like a dream. I have the dream family. And others, our families are like a nightmare. All of us compare families. We look at other people's families and go, I wish I had their family. Their family looks so good on social media. Their pictures look so great. And other of us go, you know, my family's better than yours. I wasn't born on that side of town. And we think, I'm better than you, or we feel less than other people. Some of us have been trying to start a family, and it's really hard to think about family. Or we've lost people in our family, and it makes us just feel a sense of tragedy. Here's what I know about family. Every single one of us in our families, this is true for everyone, I don't care what your circumstances are today in regards to family, here's what's true. Every one of our families is dis, come on class, functional. Good job. Everyone, we got it. Every single one of our families is dysfunctional. Every single family has a skeleton in the closet. It's not just yours. Every single buddy has an awkward cousin or an uncle that you're just like, oh my gosh. You see him coming and you're just like, oh. Every single family has some kind of drama, some kind of issue, some kind of problem. My family puts the fun in dysfunction, right? All of us have dysfunctional families. There's not one person here or listening online that doesn't have a dysfunctional family. It's all of us, all of us. And here's what we tend to do. We tend to look at everybody else in our family and go, the reason our family has drama or dysfunction is because of him. The reason our family has drama is because of her. It's because of my grandfather. It's because of my aunt. It's because of my uncle. It's because of this daughter, this son. The dysfunction, the drama, the issues are because of everybody else. And we very rarely look at ourselves and go, maybe I'm dysfunctional. Maybe the drama is me. Because there's no middle ground. Each one of us in our families either adds to the dysfunction or subtracts from it. We either add to the drama or we kill the drama. No middle ground, none. We all are dysfunctional and we all tend to look at everyone else and think it's their problem and it's not me, instead of realizing no. What's my responsibility? What's my part in the dysfunction? So today, we're going to look in the mirror at dysfunction. And we're going to ask the question, am I making a difference? Am I making a difference? And we could ask that generically. We could ask that question about, am I making a difference at work? Am I making a difference at school? Am I making a difference in the world? But actually, if we start here at family, the hardest, most difficult place to start, right in our family, we can have our greatest impact 
right in our own family. And it's the hardest space to make an impact. It's the hardest spot. But the Lord is inviting us into this, to look at our lives, to stop pointing fingers at everyone else, to look in the mirror and say, what's my part in the drama or the dysfunction? So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament. We're gonna look at a guy today named Timothy. And Timothy's life story has been altered, changed because of his grandma and because of his mother. And we're gonna look at Timothy's life and how the family that he came from changed the trajectory of his life and the course of the church of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, verse one. And as we start, would you pray with me? God, thanks for an opportunity to be together today. This word family causes us to think and feel so many different things. For some people, this is dredging up all kinds of emotions of abuse, of dysfunction. Their family has been the place of the greatest hurt. For some of us, our families are our place of greatest solace and joy. For others, we think of the ways we've hurt individuals in our families, and we don't really want to talk about this. We didn't think we were going to come to church today and feel something about family and think something about family, but we ask, God, that you would meet us here, that your Holy Spirit would come among us here in the center and the chapel online, that you would meet us right where we are, that you would comfort us and convict us, that you would guide us and lead us and change us that we might make an impact in the place of greatest leverage, highest possibility, right in our relationships at home and with extended family. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. We wouldn't know anything about a guy named Timothy if it wasn't for a man named Paul. So Paul, the great apostle, one who wrote most of the New Testament. Remember, he started out his career, Paul, started killing Christians, persecuting Christians, and Jesus got a hold of his life and changed him radically, and he left his old ways and started traveling around the known world, sharing Jesus with everyone he could. And this is where we meet a man named Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul, this great apostle, came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived... Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. And they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. The great apostle is traveling around, talking about Jesus everywhere he goes, stops in this town, and he hears about this young guy named Timothy, and everyone's like, Paul, you gotta meet Timothy. He's a rock star. Timothy's probably 17, 18, 19 years old, and Paul's like, hey, Timothy, you wanna join me on this mission trip? And Timothy's like, yeah, yeah, I'd like to go. And Paul's like, great. If you want to go on our mission trip, you got to get a passport, you got to have vaccines, and you got to raise some money, and you got to be circumcised. And at that point, if I'm going on a mission trip, I ain't going on the mission trip anymore, <laughs> right? But now Paul's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And he's circumcised, and he goes with 
Paul and travels around the world and it says he's a part of teaching people about Jesus and strengthening believers and large numbers of people grew to know Jesus. Timothy's with Paul in the city of Ephesus. They travel to Macedonia. Then they go to Corinth. Then they go back to Macedonia. Then they're in Asia Minor. Then they go back to Jerusalem. Timothy is with Paul when Paul is imprisoned. Paul has Timothy right by his side. And once he's released Paul from prison, Timothy and Paul go back to Ephesus. And at this point, Timothy's grown. They've been together for years so much so the church in Ephesus is struggling. So Paul's like, Timothy, you stay here and I'm gonna keep going to other places. You've arrived at a point in your development where you can handle the problems that are in this church. And he leaves young Timothy to fix the problems in Ephesus. And this is when Paul writes a letter to Timothy, which is in our Bible called the book of First Timothy. And Paul gets thrown back in prison. Timothy's still in Ephesus. Paul writes a second letter. And that second letter is called... Second Timothy, the books in our Bible, and I want you to turn there with me. I want you to go to Second Timothy, so keep going right in your Bible to Second Timothy 1, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to see the impact of family on young Timothy. The impact of family. Second Timothy 1, 1 through 5. Paul's writing. He's in jail. He's old. Timothy, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. It's a very personal letter between two close friends. Paul is in a Roman prison because of his faith. He's left young Timothy in Ephesus, and he writes him, and he says, my dear son. He says, I constantly remember. He's in a prison, in a dungeon, chained. And he goes, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And Timothy, when I think of you, I think of the last time I saw you when I left. Tears were flowing down your face, and I'm reminded of who you are and how much love we share. And I want to be with you, Timothy, my tears and your tears. He says he longs to see Timothy so that he can be filled with joy. And then in verse five, he summarizes why he's so deeply connected to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He doesn't say I'm reminded, Timothy, of your intellectual faith. I'm reminded, Timothy, of your bold faith. I'm reminded, Timothy, of whatever kind of adjective. He says you're sincere your genuine faith. So Paul is traveling around and people are like, you gotta meet this kid, Timothy. And this kid, Timothy, starts going with Paul, traveling from place to place, place to place. And Paul's leveraging Timothy's heart and his gifts to serve. And over years, Paul writes 13 books of the Bible. 
He writes 13 books of our New Testament, and six of the 13 books he writes, he includes Timothy as a co-signer. He's like, my guy Timothy is a part of writing this. And he even describes Timothy in Philippians 2.20 as someone completely unique. He says, I have no one like Timothy in my life. And he's suffering in prison. He says, Timothy, come to me. Come to me quickly. I need you. Come to me. Timothy would grow up to be just like Paul in every way. Loved Jesus, loved the truth, but also would be thrown in prison, also martyred for his faith. Timothy was the real deal. He was deeply connected to Jesus, and because Timothy was deeply connected to Jesus, he was deeply connected to Paul, and Timothy's life was used to help other people. He had a sincere faith. It wasn't perfect, it was genuine and sincere. Where did that sincere faith come from? Just come from nowhere? No. No, we see the difference family makes. Check out First or Second Timothy 1.5 again. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Do you see the impact of family? Timothy's sincere faith, where did it start? It wasn't his dad. I mean, Acts chapter 16 tells us his dad was a Greek, and the silence of conversation in the New Testament about Timothy's dad means Timothy's dad was absent. But it was his mom and his grandmom who had a sincere faith and imparted that sincere faith to Timothy. And if you skip ahead, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 we learn how Lois and Eunice impacted Timothy, what they did. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of because you know, how, you know who those whom you've learned it from and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. From infancy, from infancy, Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice reading the Bible, talking about the Bible, dragging him to temple, listening to the Bible, talking about the Bible, reading the truth of the Bible. And this begins to change Timothy's life. So Paul hears about this kid who's got a sincere, genuine faith, which is directly connected to his grandmom and to his mom. And he's mentioned dozens of times in the Bible his sincere, not perfect faith because mom and grandma pour God's truth into his life. Because Lois and Eunice loved the truth and loved Jesus, and they shared that love with this guy, Timothy. And we totally underestimate the impact of family. We totally underestimate the impact of mom and dad, of grandma and grandpa, of uncles and aunts. Whatever kind of family you come from, I don't care. Your family has made an indelible mark in your life. Indelible. The impact of family is real. And I know some of us go, well, I'm not really a part of a family anymore. Maybe all my family is gone, or maybe I wish I was a part of a family, but I have no spouse and I don't have kids. Did you notice what was going on with Paul and Timothy? Paul's this guy who loves Jesus traveling around. He's got no wife and he's got no kids. 
And did you notice Timothy? He's got rock star mom and rock star grandma, but he's got an absentee spiritual dad. And God in his providence takes Paul, who has no family, and Timothy, who needs a spiritual father, and he marries these two together and makes a family. So he's got a biological grandma and mom who make all the difference in the world, and he's got an adoptive dad who pours into him spiritually and equips him and nurtures him and makes a difference. The greatest impact we can have is in family relationships. So you want to know how to make a real difference? It won't be because of how educated you are, how successful you are, how wealthy you are, how popular you are. The greatest differences come quietly and slowly through family. And here's how I know. I love the New York Yankees. I mean, the greatest team in Major League Baseball. But I never told you why. My grandfather grew up playing on the dirt field in the Bronx that would, would be the place where they would build the first Yankee Stadium. He's playing on a dirt field in the Bronx. Then they build the stadium in the 1923-24. You think he's going to be a fan? Oh, heck yes, he's going to be a Bronx bomber, my grandpa. And then, of course, my dad. And, of course, me. Because your love for something is caught more than it's taught. And when you love something, the people around you, it rubs off on them. Timothy caught an affection for God's truth and for Jesus through his family members. So you want to know how you can make the greatest difference in this world? You make a difference through what you love. Whatever you love is going to rub off on people around you. If you love hard work and education and integrity, your kids and coworkers and family, they're going to rub off those things on them. If you love God and truth and people, your family will likely love God and truth and family. Now, there's no guarantees, but we can't hide what we love. So if I love a new restaurant or a new song, I talk about it out of the overflow of my heart. My mouth speaks and it begins to rub off on the people around me. It rubs off in my family. But you know what's so hard about this truth? Some of the things I love aren't so lovable. What's so hard about this truth that affections are caught more than they're taught, is some of the affections of my heart are downright wrong, sinful, inappropriate, deadly. So it's not just the things that I love, the good stuff that rubs off on my family. The bad stuff rubs off on my family too. So if you love to control everything and everyone, guess what your kids are going to grow up to do? If you love money and popularity, guess what your kids and the people around you are going to grow up loving? If you love illicit sex, if you love slander and being judgmental, guess what your kids and the people around you, what's going to rub off on them? If you speak racist, sexist things in your home, if that's in your heart, guess what's going to rub off on the people around you? You see, whether negative or positive, 
Things we love rub off. So what do you love? Because out of your heart, your mouth speaks. Do you love Jesus and love the truth? Do you love justice? Do you love mercy? Then your kids and your grandkids and your nephews and nieces and your neighbors and your coworkers are going to hear what you love. You want to know how to make a difference? Lois and Eunice love God and love their Bible. So young Timothy learned to love God and love their Bible. Whatever you love is how you're going to make a difference in this world. Like it or lump it, it's indelibly true that our love is what makes a difference in this world. And I think most of us get that. Most of us feel that. We know that intrinsically, whether positively or negatively, our loves come out and impact other people. But I want to take this one step deeper. I want to bring you back to a passage in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Stick with me on this. It's really important for us to understand our impact, the impact we have in our families and in this world. Exodus chapter 20 is the account where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And oftentimes when we hear Ten Commandments, we think of laws, and laws just take life away. Instead, if we could see it as wisdom that guides and protects us, God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God's teaching us something here that we rarely talk about and rarely think about, but we all intrinsically know that our actions bring blessing and consequences for generations. We don't like thinking about this. We don't want to talk about it, but we know it again blessing or consequence. So I grew up in a family that has incredible blessing. We learned to follow the winningest baseball team in the pros. Some of you grew up under the consequences of being a Phillies fan. And the only reason I can say that is because I'll just show you the rings, right? So this is objective. I inherited the blessing of being on a winning team. We all know this. We see this. We feel this. If my mom and my grandmother love God, Timothy's mom and grandma love God, and that impacted Timothy and changed the course of his life, it transcends, their love transcended generations. Does that guarantee everyone in my family is going to love God? No, I have a choice to love the Yankees or reject the Yankees. I could right now switch teams. I won't, but I could, right? I could switch teams if I chose, but the environment is set up as I grow up to love the New York Yankees. But if I choose, I could step away. If you love God, does that mean your kids are going to love too? No, there's no guarantees. 
Everybody has an individual choice. And I know as parents and grandparents, one of the hardest things is to watch our kids and our grandkids, our nieces and our nephews, not follow God and see the results of that. It's heartache upon heartache. But what better love to put on display in front of our kids and grandkids, our nieces and nephews, and our coworkers than a love for the Almighty God who changes everything inside us? What greater love? And God's promise throughout the Bible is He's going to use your love. He's going to use your love for Him to impact your family for generations. We don't know how. We don't know when, we don't know what it looks like, but the promise of the Bible is if you worship and follow Almighty God, if you're sincerely walking, following, trying to honor and please Him, God's going to use your love for Him to impact people for generations. How and when, we don't know, but I'm going to trust when the Bible teaches these things in multiple places that as I put my trust in him, he's going to use my trust and love and obedience to him to put on display his goodness to other people and use that to change people's lives. How and when, we don't know, but I trust God. And he says, I will show through you my faithfulness to your generations. And I'm gonna trust he's going to do that. And that he is the only source of our greatest satisfaction. He's the only one who forgives, only one who saves, only one who rescues, only one who gives us hope and peace now and forevermore. So he commands us because he knows he's the greatest of everything. He commands us to love him and love him alone. But here's my problem. I don't love him alone. I don't obey him. I choose all kinds of false gods and cheap imitations I do all kinds of other things but obey him. I obey my feelings. I obey my addictions. I follow whatever the whims of my heart are. I do all kinds of things and I don't obey and follow God. And the Bible calls that disobedience, that lack of worshiping him and him alone. The Bible calls that sin. Your sin and my sin will negatively impact your family for generations. For generations. So when I choose to love money, it impacts my kids and my grandkids. When money is a God to me, it impacts negatively generations. When I love alcohol or illicit sex or criticism, all of these things are sin and this sin is not private, it impacts others. And we know this intrinsically. How many of us, we grow up and we look up to this uncle or that grandparent. We look up to our mom and dad and we want to become like them. But there's certain parts of our family that we go, I don't want that part of mom and dad. I don't want to be like that part. We all know this, but guess what happens? We wind up growing up and being just like our mom and dad. Your mom is passive aggressive and negative and now you're passive aggressive and negative. Your dad is angry, flies off the handle. Now you're angry and fly off the handle. Your mom or your dad cheated on their spouse and now you cheated on your spouse because my sin doesn't just impact me. 
It impacts everyone around me. Every kid sees this. Every kid knows this. And if you think I'm crazy, the reason I wear contacts and glasses is because, wow, my dad wore contacts and glasses. And my grandpa wore glasses. The reason I take cholesterol medicine is because my dad took cholesterol medicine. And his dad died of a heart attack. You see, we understand it physically that there's generational things that come down through physically, but we fail to see the generational things that come down spiritually, that affect our behavior, our actions, our hearts. So if you find yourself asking the question, how can I make a difference in this world? The best thing you can do is look at what you love. Because whatever you love is what's going to rub off on the people around you. Ask yourself, what do I love? Because what you love is the area of greatest impact you will have in your home, in your family, at work, at school, everywhere. And if you find yourself loving, pursuing sinful or negative behavior, things that are toxic and deadly, these sins don't just impact you. It's not secret sin. It's sin that transfers to other people because they watch you. They live with you. They see you. They know you. It impacts others. So if there's behaviors in your life that you recognize, and maybe things that you just keep going back to over and over again, and you looked out when you were younger and said, I never want to be like that, and you find yourself being who you don't want to be. Maybe you've never asked this question, but it's worth asking today, is my sin or struggle inherited generationally? And maybe the answer will be no. No, this is my doing. This dysfunction is my dysfunction. And deal with it. But if you can see a connectivity to generations, then the good news is, my doctor asked me the question, does your dad have a heart attack and heart disease? Did your grandfather have heart disease? And the answer was yes. And when they find that out early, they do things as a doctor to help you. And when you find out and can own and name and see that maybe your struggle is something that's gone on generationally, in that place, in that time, when you can recognize that and see it and own it, here's what's awesome. Generational sin can be overcome with God's help. It's not like, oh, I can't be a Phillies fan. No, I literally could choose today to disown the Yankees and become a Phillies fan, and that would be kind of cool. In some ways, that would be a radical conversion, right? That is possible. God, if you want to... <laughs> Convert me, right? Like, it can happen. And the same is true with you. Whatever you find yourself, if there's some sin, some brokenness, some reality that you know, man, that's for my mom and my dad, and that's generation after generation after generation, invite God into it. Be honest about it. Ask a counselor for help. Ask someone to pray for you. Go to prayer works. Chat with us right now and say, there's something going on in my life. I see it generationally. Ask for help and you watch how the God of the universe can break that cycle of generational sin because you were humble enough to own it and do something about what you saw. Be deliberate. Invite God's spirit into it. And just like there's all this negative stuff that comes down through families, remember, too, there's great things that come through families. 
Don't forget that there are great benefits that have come through our families. So be grateful. If you're, if you're someone who has a good work ethic, did that just come out of nowhere? If you're someone who came to know Jesus because you grew up in a Christian home, did that just happen out of nowhere? Very often, we don't connect all the ways we've inherited blessings also. So I want to encourage you today to be grateful for inherited and learned blessings. To not think that you deserve those blessings. To anything good, what happens in our lives is anything good we take credit for and anything bad we point fingers. Instead of going, no, the good and the bad. I'm going to own the bad and I'm going to do something about it. And any blessing I have received is likely come from someone in somewhere. And I want to thank God for this blessing. And I want to thank people. We wait way too long to tell people how appreciative we are. Maybe there's a grandparent. You know your grandparent's going to die soon. You know a mom and a dad, a teacher, a coach, a mentor, they're going to die. Has someone blessed you? A pastor, a counselor, a mentor, a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle. Thank God for them and then go and tell them they changed your life. Share that blessing with them because so many times we all fail to realize that we're making an impact and we're making an impact. We need to know it. So encourage someone this week with a text message or an email or a letter and saying, thank you. I am who I am and all the goodness because of you. Here's where I want to end. We want to make an impact in our lives. We all do. And the greatest impact we can make is through love. It's through love. God is going to use your love for him to impact generations. How and when, I don't know. But if you've experienced the love of God, share the love of God with the people in your circle and at work, with every, wherever you can do it, show the love of God. Because the Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins. Love has the ability to cover over the dysfunction of our families. So as you love God, and as you love others, as you're honest and sincere about your issues, as you get help with problems, as you seek to love other people and love God, you watch how he puts on display his power through you. You watch how you can change and impact other people through how you love. I wanna grow up and be like Lois and Eunice, these two women who love God's word and love Jesus so much that they birthed a sincere faith in Timothy. And I don't want to waste my life. Do you? So stop pointing fingers. Look at what you love. Choose to make an impact. Confess your sins to God and chase after him and watch how he uses you to change the life of other people. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you died for us. Thank you that we can count on you to change us, that your love is deep enough and strong enough to forgive us, that your spirit is empowering and can change us, that cycles of sin in our own lives and in generations can be broken because we bring that to you. So humble us, Help us not to waste opportunities. Help us not to avoid our family drama. 
but to prayerfully and Holy Spirit guided walk into situations and circumstances that other people can see the love of God through us and in us. We count on you, God, to change our families. We can't, but you can. So help us, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.